Mike, will it be difficult for you if I stand right there? Okay. I didn't want to stand, be in front of the speakers and fight feedback all morning. Kobe kind of set the tone this morning. I got to keep it rolling. That's, a, that's some big shoes to fill. Kobe, thank you so much for that. Man, look, I'm going to just tell you right now, if your hearts were engaged in worship this morning, you're ready for the word that the Lord has for us um, because the sermon's already been preached <laughs> through all of those songs, and I'm, I am very excited about it. Kobe, thank you for that testimony this morning, and um, just being honest, I don't know where he went, he must have walked out, just, just being honest um, with his heart, man, that was, that's special, and um, yeah, there just enough can't be said about that. Look, we... Last week, uh, we were in Exodus chapter 33. We finished that chapter, which was astonishing because that's not our typical pace. Um, We're going to continue that today, and we're going to work through chapter 34. We're going to look, though, at the first nine verses, and then we're going to look at the last six verses at the end um, and kind of skip the middle. And as you read through that, you'll see why. You know, I've been hesitant to say that we're at the end of this study because every time I think we are, uh, God gives me another word. through the, through the end of that book. So, and it's not that we're running out of text. There's plenty of text there. But as we've discussed before, we're, if you're new with us today, we've been studying the book of Exodus um, for, the, for the past year, since January. And so uh, our, our focus in that has been God's call for us as a people to join him to set other people free. Um, and today, I really feel like we're going to kind of round the corner and finish this up uh, in terms of, of understanding that call for us as a body. So we'll see what the Lord does next week. Um, we'll, so I'm going to just leave it right there. We may be in Exodus next week. We may not. So don't be surprised if we're not. But last week we looked at chapter 33. And specifically we looked at how Israel finally comes to the realization that they've lost something huge when they broke the covenant. You know, we talked about how uh, there were the 3,000 that were killed by the tribe of Levi. Levi as soon as Moses comes down from the mountain. And then we talked about how they went through the plague. But it wasn't until God spoke and then he made a physical separation of himself from the people of Israel through the tent of meeting that it finally clicked with him. We talked about how they would stand in the door of their tents as Moses would go out to the tent of meeting. They would see the cloud, which represented the presence of God, come down. And they realized that they had lost God, that God had separated himself because had he continued to be in their presence, God would have had to... Uh, to destroy them because an unholy thing cannot be in God's presence, right? And so we looked at, at how that is, is um, important and how when we choose to not obey God, we are forfeiting, we're giving up our own right to walk with God just like Israel had. And this breaks God's heart because his whole purpose, his whole goal for us as human, be- human beings was to be in, in his presence and to walk with him and from the beginning in the garden when we, were, when we first sinned and we were separated from God, everything after that has been for the purpose of restoring that relationship. But sometimes we choose to believe the lie that something else that we're putting into our lives is going to be better for us than God is. We talked about how it's God's activity that set uh, Israel apart from the world. And the same is true for us. It's God's activity in our lives that sets us apart from the world. It's not about religious activity. It's not about a checklist. It's not about like looking like the right kind of people. It's about the actual work of God in our lives that people are able to see that separates us. And we're going to talk a little bit deeper about that today, and we're going to look at what um, that means for us as a people. And then lastly, we looked at how God's revelation of himself is what fuels our ministry. Every time Moses experienced God, it caused him to want 
more of God. And we see that in chapter 33, that as Moses hears from the Lord, he asks for God to, to reveal his entire presence. And God says, I can't do that because you'll die if I do, right? But we often find ourselves not desiring God because we've purposely separated ourselves from him. We're afraid what he may ask of us, and so we avoid him entirely so that we don't have to face those uncertainties. We don't want to really consider what God may be calling us to do, and so in order to do that, we separate ourselves from the presence of God. We don't go to him. We don't abide in him because of fear. And that the only way that we as a people are ever going to join God to set other people free is by coming to know him by experience as we abide. Today we're going to see the result of Moses' request to know God. We're going to see that God reveals himself to Moses in a very particular way and that our lives should reflect the characteristics that God reveals to Moses. And the only way that's going to happen is by us allowing God to speak correction into our lives so that we can be more like him. And then the last thing we're going to look at today is that our experiences with God are going to change us. And that change of nature is going to be God's revelation of himself to the people in our lives. Okay, so that's our goal for today. So let's look at Exodus 34. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll, we'll break that down a little bit. So starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two, stones, or two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If I now have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. In there, God's going to talk, he talks about, in verse 7, the, the sins of our fathers and, our, and, the, and, the, and how those sins are passed to the children. Don't panic. We've talked about that before. We're going we're gonna to address that again. But the first point I want to make today, that as God's representatives, we communicate the gospel through our words and our actions. Right? And that's not a new concept for anybody that's lived in the church. Like, we talk about that all the time, that the way we live our lives, the words we speak, the actions that we take, that's what communicates the gospel. And so if the words and the actions that we do are replicating dead religion, that's what we communicate. If our words and our actions replicate the presence of God, that's what's communicated. And the gospel, as we have defined in the past, is the truth about who God is. And God is not a God of dead religions. He's a God that is active and alive, working in our lives. So in this conversation, God lists six attributes of his, of his character. And I think it's helpful for each of us to consider how we have personally experienced each of these characteristics and how it has affected our lives. Okay? God describes himself in this way. And I'm going to read a list 
don't, don't, this is going to just sound like factoids, but they're important, okay? So pay attention, hang in there with me. The first way God describes himself is merciful. And then that's to express deep compassion that leads to action, okay? Most occurrence of this are in descriptions of God, okay? The result of God's mercy or compassion is forgiveness and a new relationship. God describes himself as gracious, which represents an emotional experience that leads a person to help another person in need. So God is revealing that to Moses that that he is gracious to his people. Slow to anger. And literally that means long of nostril. But it depicts a, a time. I know that's a funny thing to think about, right? But it, de- it depicts self-control. That God is patient with his disobedient and rebellious people. He re- describes himself as abounding in love. And this is a covenant term for trust and faithfulness. Loyal love represents that which ties together family, friends, and associates. God It's granting of success, answering prayer, fulfilling his promises. All of those are expressions of that kind of love. He describes himself as faithful, which refers to a true and consistent, what is trustworthy and reliable. And then lastly, as forgiving, which refers to the lifting or forgiving of iniquity, of transgressions and of sin. Look, it's because of these characteristics that God is even doing the work of redeeming Israel if you will remember as we've just looked at God comes down Moses comes down from from the original meeting with God with the two stone tablets which represent the covenant that God is making with Israel Moses delivers that message and says this is what God says he wants to redeem us as a people this is the covenant that he's making this is the way we live in that covenant Israel said yes we will do all of these things so God calls Moses back onto the mountain he's on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and Moses comes back down. And in that time period, Aaron, who God left in charge, has, com- has broken the covenant and, and walked with the people in that disobedience. And they've created a golden calf. And so chapter 33 that we looked at last week is God dealing with those transgressions. And then on the heels of that, after Moses pleads with God for their forgiveness, God says, I will forgive them because of these characteristics. And he tells Moses, get two tablets. Meet me on the mountain, I'm going to write the covenant again. And God is reestablishing it. But it's God, it's his work. He is the one that's redeeming himself. And God describes himself this way, and then he proves it by his actions. He's in the process of restoring the covenant that Israel just broke. God had plans for Israel. He had a love for them, and their sin did not change those plans or that love. He continues to work in them and through them, even as they sin. We see God doing the same thing again by sending Jesus. And God again is doing all the work of the new covenant that we live under through Jesus. None of the work of restoring our relationship with God is done by us. It's only through the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that we are even able to enter into and participate in this new covenant that Jesus brings forth. We in our natural self don't exhibit these characteristics that God uses, right? We are not merciful. We are not gracious. We are not slow to anger. That is not our nature when we are born. Those godly characteristics are only exhibited in our lives when we allow the Holy Spirit to work there. Just like God's presence uh, sets Israel apart, the same is true for us. God's presence in your life is going to set you apart from the people that live around you. Not because you're better than them, because you're just as flawed as they are. God's presence in your life is going to set you apart because people will see it. The world does not exhibit 
these types of characteristics. It tries to, but they always fall short. Like we talked about last week, when we try to fake those things, they don't come off as godly. They come off as arrogant. They come off as uh, inauthentic. That's a word. I think I said that right. I know all of you have heard the phrase, and I hate this phrase. I hate it when people say it, but you've heard the phrase, fake it till you got it. That's a terrible, that's terrible advice. Don't do that. It encourages people to be something or someone other than what they really are. It encourages you to, to live in a lie. Us faking it makes us like the world. A lot of us have grown up experiencing dead religion, and that religion is dead because people are faking it. Because it's not real. God's presence is not in their lives. Not because God doesn't want to be there, but because they've separated themselves from God because they are afraid of what God may say to them. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we all know they're full of people who are portraying one life and living a completely different one. If you follow me on either Twitter or Facebook, you'll notice I don't post much. You know why? I got nothing to say, right? I have no desire to, to spend more time taking a picture of my food than eating my food. That's not how the process is supposed to work. Listen, we can give away freedom not by pretending we're free, but by allowing God to free us. If we're abiding in God, that process is going to cause us to love him more and more. And that will give us a desire not only to know him, but to want to be like him. We cannot live in these characteristics without the power of the Holy Spirit. Only he can make those changes in his life. Only he can take us from the sin nature in which we are born and bring us into godliness as we were meant to be. The second point I want to make today is that we must allow God to bring correction to Every area of our lives, not just some of them. One of the commentaries I read this week said this, God issued a corrective against the natural human tendency to accept grace on the assumption that because an infinite God can produce an infinite amount of grace, sin has no consequences. What this is saying is that we have this idea in our head that because God is infinite, he can give out an infinite amount of grace. And that, while that may be true, it does not mean that sin has no consequence. But that's how, we, that's how we live life a lot of times. We continue to live in sin because we think in our minds, we've learned through reading Scripture that God's going to forgive us, and He will. But it does not mean that there's no consequence for our sin. As we looked at last week, Israel did not understand the consequences of their actions. Look, they knew that it was a given against the covenant to make the golden calf. When they were making that calf, I guarantee you in the back of their minds, they were thinking, we just told God we wouldn't do this. But they chose to anyway. Look, based on my experience as both a former child myself and as a father, I can tell you that most of the times that I disobeyed my parents is because I thought the thing that I wanted to do was worth the punishment that was coming. Think about that. When I disobeyed my parents, I knew in my mind there was a consequence for that action, and my little idiotic brain went, oh, it's worth it, I can deal it. I know a certain redhead, I won't say any names, but her philosophy in life was, my parents can't kill me. Y'all can figure out who yourself, for yourself who that is. But that's how we think, right? We, can, we weigh the consequences of our actions, and we go, eh, it'll be worth it. 
I'm going to give you an example. When I was a child, I was about my boy's age. I was playing in the barn, and I found an old shotgun reloading machine, okay? If you're unfamiliar with that, it has two tubes. One side's full of gunpowder, great for an 11-year-old, and the other side's full of, of shotgun shot, okay? And it was summertime. We stayed home by ourselves as kids. You know the saying, I don't mind the devil's workshop. I was at the devil's workshop. And so in my 11-year-old brain, I thought it would be a great idea to play with that gunpowder, Okay? Now, I had an 11-year-old's understanding of the dangers of gunpowder, and in my infinite wisdom thought, I'll be fine. I'll be careful. I know how this stuff works. I've shot a gun before. And so I, I, got the, I flipped the machine upside down. I screwed the, the container off that had, like, this much gunpowder in it, and I found an old tuna fish can, okay? And I put the gunpowder in there, and I put some stuff on top. I was making a bomb, y'all, okay? I knew in my mind this could... This could possibly hurt me, but this was going to be a lot of fun, right? That's where my brain was, okay? And look, it's easy to laugh at me, and I'm glad that you do, okay? My actions were so stupid that they could have killed me. I could have died in the backyard playing with gunpowder. Thankfully, I did not, okay? But look, we approach sin the same way. We know that there are things in our lives that we say yes to that have potential to destroy our lives. And we continue to say yes. Don't we know most of the time exactly what's going to happen when we sin? But we make a conscious decision to do it anyway. Grace is not a free pass to do whatever we want. We cannot go on living under the lie that it doesn't matter how we live because that is what culture has taught us. That you live for you. Treat yourself favorite show ever parks and rec if you hadn't watched that show you missed out that's what culture tells us you take care of you you make sure you're okay that's not what god has called his people to do it matters how we live we have seen over and over through the book of exodus how the decisions of pharaoh of moses of israel all made huge changes in their lives and the lives of the people around them We've been told over and over again and have accepted the lie that how we choose to live our lives is insignificant. But listen, when Moses' mother made the decision to go against Pharaoh's edict and hide Moses in a basket, it mattered. When Moses chose to obey God's call to deliver Israel, it mattered. When Pharaoh repeatedly said no and his people suffered, his decision mattered. When Israel chooses to yield to their fear and build an idol instead of having faith in God, it mattered. And when we ignore God's call in our life, when we ignore God's direction in our life, it matters. But when we choose to obey God's call, it matters. Look, we see in our text today that sin had a significant impact on the rest of Israel's lives, right? We understand that because of their breaking of the covenant, God says to that generation, that entire generation, millions of people, you will not go into the promised land. Your children will, but you will not. You will die in this desert. Their decision to worship an idol mattered. How we live who we allow to be in charge and whether we obey will have a, genera a generational impact on our families. 
Think about this for a minute. The change will exponentially affect the kingdom as well. Look, in verse 7, this is the thing I told you don't be nervous about. Let's break this down. In verse 7, God is telling them, let's go back and read it real quick, just so we can all be on the same page. Verse 7, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is not saying that he is going to punish my children because of my sin. They are not getting punishment because of my sin. But here's what he is saying. Let me get back to my spot. Here's what he is saying. In this verse, when God said that he's going to visit the iniquity of the father on the children, he isn't saying he's going to punish the children for their parents' sin. He's saying that they are going to have to live in the consequences of their parents' sin. Israel's children had to live in the consequences that their parents and grandparents would not walk into the promised land with them. And that mattered. If you think about it, it's obvious that God doesn't work that way. He just told Israel that they're going to go into the promised land, but their children wouldn't. What he is saying is that when we choose to live in sin, we pass those sin patterns down to our children. And if you've been a parent or been around children in any way, you know this to be true. A great example of that is my children mimicking my snappy responses to one another. Because I'm going to be honest, when I come home from work, sometimes I'm tired and I'm hangry and my patience is short. And my kids will do something dumb, I snap at them, and then a few minutes later I hear them snapping at each other and I fuss at them about it. They learned it from me. My sin brought that into their lives. How we live doesn't just affect us. It affects our children and our children's children. Because we're informing the way they live. All of us, all of us in this room have at some point looked back on how our parents raised us and we thought, I'm going to do things differently. Right? And that's good. That's a good thing to do. I hope my children do that. I hope they go, man, these things, my dad got it way off. I'm going to do better. Right? But that's how life works. Wouldn't it be amazing instead of children inheriting a desire to, to just do whatever, that they're, what they inherit from us as parents and as a church body is that I'm going to do whatever God calls me to do no matter what the cost. That's what I want for my children. I want my children to hear God's voice and go, I know this is going to be costly for me, but I already know it's worth it because I've lived it already with my parents at home. There could be nothing better for any of our children than for them to grow up in families where it was normal to lay ourselves before God and let any changes that He requires happen in our lives. That's what I want. But it requires me to be obedient to God. We start that kind of legacy by, let, by daily allowing God to point out the sin in our lives, repenting of that sin, and asking the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. The key to all of this is the realization that we are powerless to make those changes. It's only through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives that we experience real and lasting change. The last point I want to make today is this. Our experiences with God and changes brought by Him are the testimony of the goodness of God. Our experiences with God and changes brought by Him are the testimony of the goodness of God. Let's pick up in verse 29 and go through 35. 
And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin on his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak to him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak to him. Look, when we're walking daily with God, discovering who He is by experience, it's going to be the evidence to people around us that God is active in our lives. Moses just spent another 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with God, and his face was literally shining. Like, the only thing I can think of that compares to that is when um, you see a lady that's pregnant. Like, their faces just glow, right? I don't know what it is. I saw some pictures this morning of Ashlyn Magel when she was pregnant with her first, like, somebody, you know, it was a shared memory, and that girl was just glowing. That's the only thing I can think of that is similar to that. Look, there is a a spiritual change happening in Moses because of his proximity to God, but that change was also having a physical effect on his life. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the people that you do life with can tell if you're having a good or a bad day or week with the Lord. Did you know that? Did you know that people can tell? That they can see it? They can see it in your face? They can hear it in your voice. They experience it as you do life with them. When we've been walking with God and He's been speaking, it shows in how we live life. Like you think about your own life. You think about the weeks where you were really consistent with the Lord. Not for consistency's sake, but because you were drawn to Him. And how great that week was. Even if you were going through hard things, you can go, man, this was incredible because look at all the stuff God just did. It changes how we react to everything. We give away freedom by showing the world around us the joy that comes from knowing God. I don't know about what your brain has processed if we've talked about joining God, but what have you been thinking about when you think about that phrase, joining God to set people free? Where does your mind go? Is it ministry? Is it a program? Is it a a life group? I want you to think about it this way. I want you to consider that the very first way that we join God in setting people free is by simply joining God. That's where we start. And it's a little embarrassing that we're all the way a year into this study and this just occurred to me. That God just finally had me write this down. That the way we join God to set people free is we just join God. And the setting free happens as a result of the joining. I often think about, or I think we often try to blow this joining God to set people free thing out of proportion. We put way too much responsibility on ourselves. We think, I have to do this, this, and this in order to do that. And God's saying, don't do anything, please. Stop doing something. Just listen to me and let me do it. God's calling us to be empty vessels, right? Right? 
When we join God, the work of setting people free is set in motion by God. When we join God, the work of setting people free is set in motion by God. We don't need to worry about, um, am I at the right place at the right time? Because if we're abiding, we will be in the right place at the right time. Just like we don't have to work in our salvation, we are, are the ones, excuse me, just like we don't have to work in our salvation, we don't have to work in setting people free. God's doing all of that. We don't have to sit here and go, well, I'm really nervous because I'm an introvert and I don't like talking to other people. So how can I set people free if I don't talk to them? Look, God's got people in your life. You might be introverted, but that don't mean you're an island. There are some people in your life that you have conversations with. And God might be working in that people's life. And it might happen right now or it might happen in 10 years. It doesn't matter. You abide in God, you join Him, and you let Him do the work of setting people free. Just be an empty vessel. God is going to do all of the work of drawing people in, preparing their hearts, and then when they're finally ready, our abiding puts us in the places and in the conversations that the Lord needs us to be in. Not because we had a plan and we worked that plan, but because we're joining God daily. God is going to use us to speak truth and reveal His love. But we can't give away what we don't have and this is, not a, this is not a guilt trip. This is a reality check. If you're not abiding daily, you cannot join God to set people free because you are not joined to God. Abiding is the first step. There's a reason that God has been speaking that same message to our church over and over and over again because until we learn to abide, we're not the church. We're here and we gather. But God's desire for His people from the very beginning is that we are joined to Him in relationship. We're not fooling anybody by just talking the talk, right? There are plenty of people here that do that. Not here, but in the church, I mean. Okay? But look, we're not fooling anybody by pretending. We're doing the opposite, in fact. We're proving something. And what we're proving is that we're not really abiding. We're just walking. Look, and this is not one of those things where I had a person in my mind as I'm writing this sermon... Okay, so don't think that I'm trying to pinpoint somebody. That's not the point of this. I'm saying we need to look at ourselves, we need to evaluate our lives and say, God, where's the sin in my life that you need to purge out? God wants us to know Him. And as we do, we will make Him known by the changes that He is creating in us. Sometimes I, I put in that point earlier that it's by our words and our actions, but a lot of times people are going to begin to see a change in who we are. It's not that we've got some new fancy message or a three-point program that we're going to do and that's going to change people's lives. Sometimes people just notice that we are becoming a different person. We are becoming a better person. And it's not because I'm trying really hard. It's because God is working in me and changing me. Matter of fact, when we try to take things and do them in our own power, it backs us up. You think about Moses. We, we didn't cover this yet because this happens in Deuteronomy, but Moses, as they're moving towards the promised land, God tells him to go and to touch his staff to a rock and water's going to come out. But Moses gets aggravated with the people and instead of doing it the way God told him to, he gets mad and he smashes the rock with his stick and it cost him the promised land because Moses wanted to do it his way to prove a point. Our call to join God to set people free is first a call to join God. And in joining God, 
We're going to be changed into His likeness. And He will work in the hearts of the people around us, just like He's working in ours. And as we share what God's doing in our lives, that Word is going to fall into fertile soil. Not because of anything you did, but because of what God's doing in your life and in their life. I want to end today by going to John chapter 15. I thought about this this morning. This is, for me, this felt like a great way to, to close this thing out. John chapter 15, we're going to read verses 5 through 17. If you've been with us any amount of time, you're familiar with this. This is the, the, the parable, or this is where Jesus is talking about, he is the vine, we are the branches. So starting in verse 5. I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. Years and years and years ago, at the beginning of the gathering place, we studied this for a year This is where the abiding cycle comes from. And it all comes down to this. Jesus is saying, look, I loved you. I loved you because the Father loves you. And that is my role here. And as as you are feeling this love from me, you reciprocate that to those around you. This is what God is trying to accomplish. He is saying, brothers and sisters, us right here, God loves us enough to give up His life and His call to join Set People Free is to just enjoy that love. And as we do that, as we abide in Him, all of the things that He's called us to do are going to happen. Because the fruit is coming from the vine, not from the branch. God's called us to join Him to set people free, but what God's really called us to do is to just join, to abide, to be the branch that's connected to the vine and then just watch the fruit that happens as a result. Let's pray. God, if we, can just, if we can just be drawn to abiding in you, if we, can, if, if we can give up ourselves enough to let you in and to let you have control, we will experience freedom. And that freedom is going to be passed on to the people in our lives. We will be giving away freedom, not because we're trying to, but because we're living in it.
God, you have prepared our hearts today in worship. You've spoken your word. We've spent a year talking about joining you. And God, I, I, I beg of you that you will give us the desire, that you will give us the strength to do that. God, not that, not that we have anything to prove or, or anything that we want to accomplish for ourselves. God, I want to know you. And I want your people to know you. God, teach us to abide. Help us to feel your love. Help us to experience the joy of who you are. And let the outflow of that be others in our lives experiencing it too. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.